A reading from 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, nor from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. You guys doing all right? Okay. So we've been in a series on the book of First Thessalonians for the last couple of weeks, and this is a, a book that I think is very instructive to us. It's one of those books that um, probably isn't preached a lot, but it's, it's this wonderful look at what a church should be. It's this, this model church that Paul talks about where he, he puts them forth, not only praising them and instructing them in their time and their day, but it's the Word of God to us as well. It's instructive to us of how we should live. This is a church that Paul calls a model church. It's a church that brings him great joy as opposed to some of the other churches where he may write to them, you foolish Galatians, or you guys need to stop arguing or bickering. This is a church that's a little bit different in Paul's ministry. And there's much for us to learn from them, right? There's much for us to be able to embody and see how they're living and how they're, they're working in their ministry for us to put that on as well. I think there's a lot to be learned about how to be a church that, that makes much of Jesus and a church that lives on mission as well. And so our section that we're looking at today, it's a bit longer section with 12 verses, but ultimately as we look through this, we're, we're looking at how we are to live as missionaries. We're seeing how Paul lived among the church in Thessalonica, and it's instructive to us because I know that I'm talking to the Christians of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, but I got a secret for you. You ready? Every Christian is a missionary. Every Christian is a missionary. Some people will cross seas while the rest of us cross streets. Every Christian is to be a missionary. 
God does not have two sets of Christians, those who are called to be ministers of his gospel and everyone else. He's called us all to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus. We believe in the priesthood of all believers, the ministry of every believer. So if you're sitting here today, you're in ministry. And some of you are like, oh no, that's terrifying. It is, but welcome to the club. We're all ministers of the gospel of Jesus. And your ministry may look different than mine. You may never come up on a stage and preach a sermon, and some of you say, thank God. But you all have a ministry. God has called you, and he's placed you in different situations, and every single day, you preach a sermon with your life. Whether you know it or not, every day you preach a sermon with your life. We often don't realize this, but how we live our lives is our greatest apologetic. And I know Rob isn't here this morning, and so he can uh, throw stones at me later. But apologetics are great. I love apologetics, and we can talk about the, the Kalam cosmological argument. And some of you are like, what in the world are we talking about? Mark's like, amen, finally, Kalam. We could talk about all of that. But ultimately, if we just talk about proofs for the existence of God, while our lives never bear evidence of his existence, then we've missed the mark. We've missed everything about what the gospel is. Every single day of our lives, we have an opportunity to show the world around us that Jesus really is our Lord. Every single day, we have the opportunity to preach to the world around us that that Jesus is our Lord and he should be their Lord as well. And so as we dive in today, we're going to get a closer look at how Paul and those around him ordered their lives in this way for the sake of God and for the sake of others. So let's take a moment to pray before we dive in. And we're so thankful for who you are. So thankful for your love towards us, your grace, your mercy. And we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. God, you have saved sinners like us. You've made us whole. And we're redeemed in your sight. That help us to look at the world around us knowing that there are still people who need to know the good news of the gospel. Help us to live lives worthy of you. Help us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices bring you glory, and so that others may call upon your name. Help us to become a church that loves you, truly loves you, Lord. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, let's begin in verses 1 through 2. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Now, if you look through Paul's ministry throughout the New Testament, you're going to notice that his life was just always easy, not without diff. Okay, sorry. He faced a lot of trials. He had a lot of pain. He had a lot of difficulty in his ministry. He experienced disappointment at the state of churches, so much so that he writes foolish Galatians. He faces frustration at those who would preach a false gospel, even going right behind him, telling uh, people who have just believed in Jesus that they need to do other things in order to be saved. He was whipped. 
He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was stoned, not recreationally. He faced all of these things in his life because he was a minister for the gospel. And yet, despite all of that, in spite of everything that he experiences, in spite of all the hardships, the difficulties, the trials, the pain, he presses on. Presses on. In spite of all of that that he experiences, he keeps running the race. And we just have to wonder these questions. Why? Why would he keep doing it? If he's constantly experiencing all that, why would he keep going forth? Why would he keep running the race? And second, how? If Paul's discovered some secret to to life in spite of all the difficulties and trials and tribulations, how does he do it? Because I need to know that, right? Why and how? Well, it's really simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. It's because of the surpassing worth of Jesus. That's, that's why and how for Paul. It's because of the surpassing worth of Jesus. Because Christ lives, Paul can face tomorrow. I almost threw an audible and made us sing that song this morning. Like We were on the way here and it came on as uh, we were driving and Brooke's like, you better not change the song. So you're welcome. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. That's what Paul got. He understood the surpassing worth in Jesus Christ. He, he understood that life is only found in Christ. It's not found in every, anything else. It's not found in having this perfect life where everything always goes right. Because that's far-fetched. It doesn't happen. It's not real. Paul knows that true life, life that's really life, is found in Christ alone. So he knows that whatever hardship or trial or disappointment that he faces, it's nothing in comparison to Jesus. It's nothing in comparison to the surpassing worth of who Jesus is and what he's done. It doesn't matter that he was just treated outrageously in Philippi. It doesn't matter that he's experienced pain because Paul knows that his Redeemer lives. He knows that Jesus lives. He knows that Jesus has overcome the grave. He knows that, that Jesus experienced all of these things as well in his ministry. And he knows that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for him. He has a high view of who Jesus is. And so therefore, he's able to persevere. He knows that the life is worth the living because Jesus lives. I think sometimes we, we only understand the gospel in terms of life after death. That it's just the, this, this thing for us when we die eventually, then we'll be with God forever. And while that is true, it's only a partial view of the gospel. Because the gospel is for our everyday life as well. It's not just for when we die, it's for every single day of our lives. It's what Paul describes when he's saying he was able to press on with the help of God. It's not just that we can press on when we get to death and we're before the judgment seat of God where he says, enter into my rest. It's every single day that we get to enter into his rest. Every day that we get to claim that this is my Lord and Savior and I will have faith and trust in Him. Come what may in my life, trial, disappointment, pain, I rest in Christ alone. That's what Paul models and understands in his life and ministry. 
But when I look at our lives, we don't do that very well. Like we face like the minorest of inconveniences. And we're like, I give up. I quit. I throw in the towel. Like we get a flat tire. We're like, man, Satan is really after me. It's like, no, you ran over a screw. And Paul's getting like whipped and beaten. And he's like, I press on to the race the Lord Jesus has for me. We're like, Lord, this is too hard. And they didn't have ice cream at the event I went to. Lord, it's not, it's not fair. I don't know where the ice cream came from. <laughs> it did sound personal. <laughs> there was no ice cream left there. <laughs> did come from a cow. Paul doesn't get tripped up at the minor inconveniences of life. And all of those things that he experiences, they're minor to him because of who Jesus is. The trials, the beatings, the pain, the whipping, the, the immense difficulty that he experiences, they're minor in comparison to Jesus. See, he's unlocked the secret to pressing on in all circumstances, and it's to focus in on God. Not to focus in on all the things that are going wrong, it's to focus in on God. And he's able to do this because he's experienced God in a profound way. God isn't a theoretical construct to Paul. He's experienced God. He's communed with God. He's done life with God. And so therefore, he knows that his God is greater than any trial, than any pain, than any heartache, than any circumstance. He knows that his Redeemer lives. He knows that he knows that he knows. And because of that, it changes everything for him. I want to let you in on another little secret. If you're going to be, in, be effective for the Lord in your ministry, you have to get used to disappointment. You have to get used to mistreatment. If you are going to follow the Lord, if you are going to do ministry for the Lord, you will face immense pain, and difficulty. It's going to happen. In my ministry, I've experienced several things that, that are painful. I've experienced people who, who should have been trustworthy, who are more mature in the Lord and more mature in their years, ultimately stealing funds from the ministry we are a part of. Experience friends who I did evangelism with, who we led people to the Lord together, ultimately apostatize and no longer follow Jesus currently living a life of sin and disgrace. I've experienced people speaking poorly of me, falsely accusing me of things. Ministry is painful. It's difficult. And there are days when you experience those things where you just want to run away. Say, God, I don't want to do this anymore. It's difficult. It's hard. And the devil wants nothing more than to discourage you. He wants to, to make the pain and the trial and the heartache something rising up inside of you where it just overwhelms you, where you say, I don't want this anymore, Lord. I'd rather just do something else. You will experience situations that will threaten to break you. When you say and commit your life to the Lord, when you're willing to follow Him and do His will and do whatever it takes, you're going to face these situations like Paul does, where he's like, I was treated outrageously, and yet I was able to press on. We have to learn 
Be willing to lean on the Lord as Paul does. To allow him to be your defender, your comforter, the one who empowers you to press on. Because what we unlock here in in this scripture is that when you face difficulty, God will empower you. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying the reason I'm able to press on is because God empowers me with boldness through his spirit. God will help you in your weakness. It's what he did for your salvation, right? We were weak and we were powerless and we could not affect salvation on our own. And he steps into our story and saves us. If God did that for us in our salvation, he will do it for our everyday lives as well. He'll do it for every pain and heartbreak and disappointment. We just have to learn to trust him, right? All right, let's keep going on. Verses three through six. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Paul has pure motives in his ministry. His pure motives in his ministry, as he's going around from town to town, from people to people, he's not trying to make himself into someone important. He's not trying to to build up a name for himself. He's not trying to, to build wealth for himself. His goal isn't to go around and so discord and say that I'm the one you should be following, not any of these other false teachers. He, he's not trying to introduce a different type of teaching. His goal is simply to make much of Jesus. That's Paul's goal everywhere he goes, to make much of Jesus. As he goes around from town to town, he's not concerned with pleasing people. He's concerned with pleasing God. He doesn't want the applause and the praise of people. He wants the the glory that comes from following Jesus. The well done, good and faithful servant spoken by his master. That is what Paul is going after. As we look at these verses, look at what Paul describes himself as. He describes himself as someone who is approved and entrusted by God. He's approved by God, entrusted by God. Too often we chase after the approval of others, right? We chase after the approval of friends and parents and, and bosses or even society as a whole. We chase after approval, But what we need to understand, and it's what Paul understood, is that we are approved of by God. We're approved of by God. If we are in Christ, we are already approved of. It doesn't matter what everyone else says, because what your God says about you is that you are approved, that you are redeemed, that you are loved. He's already approved of you. In Christ, we're forgiven. We're made whole. We're adopted into the family of God. When God sees you, he sees Christ in you. He sees you as approved. We need to realize that. 
They were already approved of by God. Because when we do that, it's so much easier to live our lives for him. Because we're not living our lives constantly in fear that we're going to make God mad. Instead, we're, we're living as dearly loved children in light of our adoption, in light of that approval from God already. Think about it. He's the God of all creation. He speaks and things are created. And this God approves of you in Christ. The God who created the heavens and the earth approves of you in Christ. That's incredible. When, when this is who is approving of you, nothing else can compare to that, right? Nothing else. No, no praise, no honor, no glory. Nothing else compares with that because your God, the one who created everything, says that you are approved of in Christ. That He loves you with an unfailing love. And for Paul, everything is lived from this approval. His entire life, his entire being is lived from this approval. And he realizes that not only is he approved of, but he's also entrusted. Entrusted to share the news of it with others. God has entrusted each and every one of us with the gospel message. He's entrusted all of us with the good news of the gospel. And we're not to, to bury it in the ground, right? Right? We have a parable from Jesus about that. We're not supposed to be the servant who receives one talent. That's, that's our salvation and just bury it in the ground. That's not what God has called us to do. He's called us to multiply. Use our lives as the seed money to see others come to know Jesus. Our lives are to be lived in response to what Christ has done for us. This is your calling, no matter what your vocation is. I see young people a lot, and some of you are like, you are a young person. Yes. I see those coming out of high school saying, I want to know what I'm called to do, to love God and love others. He may call you to a specific vocation or not, but your calling remains the same no matter what. You are called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's all of our callings. God has approved of you. He's entrusted you to be his ambassador. He's called you into his ministry. When you accepted his salvation, you also accepted his call. His call to go forth. All right, let's read verses 7 through 9. Paul transitioning a bit here, he says, instead, so he's contrasting what he just said about how he didn't act, but saying how he does act. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but of our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. So here Paul uses a couple of different familial expressions to 
speak of his demeanor to the Thessalonian church. And they're kind of weird because one's a young child and one's a nursing mother, and they seem like, like they're opposites, but ultimately they're both symbols of gentleness. They're both symbols of Paul's demeanor among the church. They show that, that Paul genuinely cared for the people he was ministering to. And this is so important. He genuinely cared for those he was ministering to. So in this time period, uh, philosophers get this, this really high regard, especially traveling teachers who are going around. And so Paul as a traveling teacher, as he's going from town to town, could have been demanding a certain regard. And he says, even as an apostle of Jesus, he said, I could have demanded I be treated a certain way, but that's not what Paul does. He doesn't demand to be treated with a certain respect or to have uh, ice cream at every event um, because, you know, we're going to put that back in there since we've already put it in. He doesn't demand that his green room be filled only with orange Skittles. He doesn't do that. He, he lives life with these people. As an imitator, as a disciple of Jesus, Paul follows in Jesus' footsteps, committing to serve and not be served. Paul understands that ministry isn't about gaining notoriety or wealth or anything else. Paul understands that ministry is about serving. He gets it. He understands that he's a disciple of Jesus. And if Jesus modeled this way of life, it's the way of life that we are to live as well. And I see a lot of people who want to be leaders in the church, but are unwilling to put in the time to serve. It's something that, that is very evident in the Christian church. It's like, well, I have some competency, so obviously I should have some sort of leadership. Well, first of all, Competency and character are not the same thing. And character is far superior to competency. Now, this is a, a quip. It's a saying that's repeated often in the church. But if serving is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. If you can't do the ministry of toilets, you can't do the ministry of speaking. You can't do the, the ministry of sacking chairs. You can't do the ministry of public prayer. Serving ministry is vital to our development. It's vital to our character. We don't graduate beyond it. All of our life is serving to God. It's always more important to have character than competency. It doesn't matter how skilled you are if your character is yucky-ducky. Sorry, my daughter said that and now... <laughs> Character is always more important than competency. This is what Paul gets, right? He gets it. He, he models it. He, he's willing to humble himself. He says, I don't demand all of these things. I don't demand to be elevated. I'm serving there with you. As he works night and day among this church, he, he's living as a tent maker, which is a low position. It's not this glamorous work. He's living as a tent maker saying, even I am willing to subject myself to all of this in order that you might be one to the gospel of Jesus. He humbles himself to get an opportunity to minister to these people. Paul's serving out of love for God, but he's also serving out of a love for these specific people. 
He notes that he's delighted to share not just the gospel with them, but his life with them as well. He's not just giving them a sermon and then, then sneaking away and living elsewhere. He lives his life among the people. He has an affinity for the people. They weren't inconveniences to Paul. They weren't less than to Paul. They were loved by God and therefore they were loved by Paul. And this is highly instructive for us. Because church, man, we've messed up here. We love the people who look like us, who think like us, but those who haven't yet arrived, man, they're on the outside. They're the, they're the them, we're the, we're the us. We've so messed up on this. We cannot have contempt for those outside of the church if we want to see them saved. If we're constantly looking down on and speaking poorly of all those dirty, rotten sinners outside the four walls of the church, we've missed the mark. We've missed the heart of God. We've missed the heart of the gospel. See, the us versus them culture war that we're so prone to, we're so prone to, it's something that must be crucified in us. Something that we must put to death if we're going to be effective ministers of the gospel of Jesus. We must deeply care for those outside of the four walls of the church. And here's kind of the, the marker for us. Here, here's the test. If your first response toward people who aren't saved they're doing things that are, that are contrary to, to, to the gospel, contrary to what you think is right. If your first response towards them is disgust or frustration or anger, man, missed it. Because our job is to love our neighbors. Even that neighbor that we really wish wasn't our neighbor. Our call is to love them. We have to remember how Jesus lived his life. Now Jesus, he could have lived his life like that, right? He certainly had every right to live as an us versus them reality. He was holy and the world around him was not holy. And he could have certainly said, I'm up here, the entire world is down here, so therefore I will have nothing to do with them. That is certainly what Jesus could have done. But that's not what he does, friends. He steps into dirty, rotten humanity in order to save us. He's chided at and chastised for being a friend of sinners. Like Jesus is eating with the people that no one else wants to eat with, that everyone else is looking down at, where the Pharisees are saying, thank God I'm not like the tax collector, and Jesus is dining with the tax collector. Friends, we got to get this inside of us. God so loved the world that he stepped into our story, that he shared life with us, that he communed with those seen as the worst of the worst. Why? In order that they might be saved. And all the time, we just want to turn our back to the world. And we just want to preach this way. And how offensive would that be to you guys behind me if the whole sermon I, I just talked over here? And say, man, they really don't get it. They, they aren't doing the right thing. But hey, God loves you. Maybe repent. It doesn't work, does it? We've turned our back 
on the world around us. Saying, you guys don't get it. You're full of sin. You're, you're disgusting to me. Guys, we have to change our demeanor to those around us. We've become far too political to be effective ministers of the gospel. We've put our trust in hope and places that it should not be in. We fight for things that we ought not fight for. That's another sermon series that we've already done. We must think like missionaries. What would it look like for you to think like a missionary? What would it look like if you treated your street and your neighborhood and your family as a mission field? What would it look like for you to treat Plattsburgh and the North Country as a whole as a mission field? Is the way that you're living your life, would it get you fired from being an actual missionary? Like, do you show such contempt to the world around you? Do you, do you care? Do you share the gospel? Do you, do you love them? Do you invite people into your home who are far from Jesus? What, what does your life look like? What does it look like? We need to have a genuine love for those around us. It's what Paul demonstrates to us here. As I yearned to share the gospel with you, but also my life to know and be known. Look at verse 10. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Paul lived in such a way to show reverence for his God. He wasn't someone who spoke one thing and then lived another. He submitted his entire life, his entire being to Christ. The biblical authors took holiness seriously, holiness seriously, while we're often making more excuses than not. Yes, we're still sinners. Yes, we still have propensity towards sin, but we should not be satisfied with living a life of sin. Sin should be something that disgusts us. We should want to mortify sin, crucify sin, put sin to death inside of us to rid our bodies of the rot of our previous existence because of our love for Jesus in view of the salvation that our God offers. Listen to what Paul describes this process as in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 26-27. through 27. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I was like, I'm not going to preach the gospel and then live like a child of hell. I'm going to strike blows against my body and make it my slave. He does war against his flesh. And we're like, next on Netflix. Friends, we're letting so much junk inside of us and it's forming us into people we ought not be. We need to be very careful with how we live. If we're going to be effective ministers of the gospel, if we're going to do much for Jesus in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in the North Country, we must be willing to wage war against our fleshly desires. To strike blows against our body. Because right now, what the, what the world sees us as is a church full of hypocrites. 
plenty of survey results that we could reference here, and we've done so in the past. The world around us sees us as hypocrites. And and there's some truth to that, right? Like we're never going to fully arrive. There's always going to be something hypocritical about us because we're not Jesus. We're not perfect. But the difference is, are we willing to admit that we're in sin? Are we willing to publicly repent? Are we willing to say, yes, there is stuff inside of me that I'm still trying to crucify, that I'm still trying to mortify, and I need God's help for that every single day? Are we willing to live lives like that? Or are we just saying, yeah, I'm not perfect. No one is. Those are two different responses. The early church was marked by this distinction, that they were living as transformed people. It was the early Bishop Cyprian who stated that the church didn't just teach great things, but they lived them. And that's why they were so effective in mission. It wasn't just what they taught, it was how they lived. And that's what Paul says here as well. We lived holy, blameless, upright lives when we were among you. You could see the fruit of the gospel inside of us. Our Christianity, it should be a holistic Christianity. A Christianity where we're daily crucified in order that Christ might be the Lord of our entire lives. Not just the convenient parts of our lives, but our entire lives. And this, my friends, is what it means to worship. To offer our bodies as living sacrifices, as Roman 12 says. Worship is not a 30-minute appetizer for the sermon. That's not what worship is. Worship is offering your body as a living sacrifice every single day. In the Old Testament, every single day sacrifices were required. Our worship is to offer our bodies as sacrifices before the Lord, living every day for Him. The world around us is waiting for a people waiting for a generation of people who will take Jesus seriously. They just want to see people believe and live as they say they do. Not to proclaim one thing and live another way. People yearn to see this Jesus who we proclaim actually taking root and transforming our lives. Such fiery men and women, those who have truly experienced the transformative nature of the gospel and live every day unto the Lord, those are the ones who will accomplish great things for the Lord. Those are the ones who will see their friends saved, their loved ones saved, those around them saved. They're the ones spoken of by John Wesley when he said, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. You yearn to live a holy life. It's sin, something that, that is disgusting to you, not out there, but in here. Are you willing to strike blows to your body? Are you willing to to sacrifice what is convenient and easy in order order to live the sanctified, deeper life? Oh, for, for this church, for North Country Alliance Church, to be full of these kind of men and women, those who give their their whole selves to God who preach with their lives the good news of the gospel, who preach that there is a God who loves them and will transform them. Let's look at our last two verses. For you know 
that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul calls those who responded to the gospel not to just stop there, not to make a a declaration of faith, a declaration uh, of salvation, and to be like, okay, you're good to go. There's nothing else you need to do. No, he calls them to the deeper life, to the sanctified life. And he lives as a father to this church, helping them to grow up in the Lord. His goal wasn't for them to be spiritual babies, right? He doesn't want them to be spiritually malnourished. He wants them to grow up into maturity. And so he he lives in such a way as to propel them towards that, encouraging them, urging them, exhorting them to this deeper life. As those who are in the church, we must be willing to walk alongside those we minister to, to help them reach maturity actually do life on life with people. The goal of this church, the goal of your life is never just to get people to make a declaration of faith. It's to help them live the truly transformed life, that deeper life, that sanctified life, that life that is truly life, where their whole body, where their whole soul is surrendered to Jesus. Every Christian is called to make disciples. Every single one of us. We need to exhort others in the way of the Lord. That means we need to be spending time with the Lord ourselves, digging deeper into the Word, digging deeper into theology, digging deeper into Christian living, into devotions and disciplines and all of those things so that we can exhort others to go further in the Lord. We need to be able to comfort others around us when the pains of life occur, because they will occur, and we need one another to get through them. We need to urge those around us to live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus, worthy of someone who is loved by God. As a body of Christ, as the local body of Christ, we're committed to one another, right? Committed to one another. I got Jim with a thumbs up in the back. Thanks, Jim. We're committed to one another. We're joined together. We're one body coming together. And we all have different skill sets and gifts, but we're all called to minister to one another. We are our brother's keepers. And we don't like that. Man, we want to run from that responsibility. But we are called to disciple those around us. We're called to do life on life with one another. We're committed to one another. We join as the church. We're committed to one another, not just to to fellowship with one another, but to also disciple one another. So every single one of us, we need to encourage one another. We need to exhort one another. And yes, we even need to rebuke one another. And oftentimes in the church, in our relationships, uh, I heard John Mark Comer say it this week, that we sink down to the lowest level of obedience. Like we make this the bar down here instead of calling people to a deeper life, to a higher thing. Let's commit to doing that with one another. 
Doing what Paul does, urging, exhorting, encouraging one another to live lives worthy of those who are loved by God. There's this last little phrase that that Paul uses. God has called us into his kingdom and glory. Never forget that. It's like the bookend and the, the most beautiful part. He has called us into his kingdom and glory. We are part of God's family. Saved, redeemed, loved. It's not just for later on, it's for now. Don't forget that. He desires to transform you. He desires for you to experience the deeper life. God cares how you live your life now. He does. He's a plan for your life, and it looks like surrender. It looks like dying to yourself, not with pursuing what makes you happy, pursuing what makes him happy, what brings him glory. He wants us to experience that life that's truly life and to help others do the same. He wants us to to live our lives for him and for others around us. We are saved from sin and for mission. We accepted Jesus. We were accepting that call as well. And so may we be people who are committed to that. Committed to holy living, to missional living, to discipleship living in response to who our God is and what he's done. Amen? Let's stand together and pray. God, we thank you for saving us. And we thank you that you made a way when there was no way. God, while we were were vile and disgusting and dead in our trespasses, where there was nothing redeemable in us, you gave your life. You so loved us. You willingly stepped into our story. You showed us what life was supposed to look like. You lived perfectly. You gave your life for the sake of others. Dying upon the cross in our place. Rising again on the third day. Showing. Proving that you are who you say that you are. Thank you, Lord. As people who have gathered together today to to worship and celebrate, give glory to you, Lord, help us to frame everything in light of the gospel. Never forget what you've done. God, help us to trust in you every day of our lives in, in, in light of everything that we will experience, all the disappointment, all the trials the heartache, Lord. Help us to still trust in you. God, would you empower us to offer our lives as living sacrifices, even in the the difficulty, even in the pain. How would you give us an affinity and a love for those around us? not scorning them, not chastising them, not looking down upon those who do not yet know you, but instead loving them. Just like you loved us 
while we were dead in our trespasses. Give us the heart and mind of Jesus. Help us to pursue those who are far from you. And help us to live lives where we're seeking to please you and not man. And empower us towards holy living. And redeem our time, redeem our, redeem our eyes, redeem our thoughts, oh Lord. Father, help us to truly be that body of Christ. We're joined together to worship you and help propel one another towards the deeper life. In Christ's name that we pray. Amen.